Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. This morning, our scripture is Matthew 5, 1 through 9. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, we're in for a real treat. Mark and Ted are gone. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's not the treat. That's not the treat. <laughs> but uh, they, they're gone for a special occasion. Um, they are in Omaha, Nebraska, which is where our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, the ECC, is having their annual gathering, their annual meeting. And this past Friday, the vine was officially accepted into our denomination. Let's give a round of applause. That's something to celebrate. <clears throat> and um, it's also exciting because um, Mark is also officially ordained as an ECC pastor. So make sure you say well done to him when you see him next. But um, we know that um, so much hard work and prayer has gone into this milestone in the life of our church. And we're so grateful for all of you for uh, saying yes to following Jesus together at the Vine and committing to this community, and we're really excited to see what more God is going to do through the vine. But this morning, we are privileged to be hearing from a fellow ECC pastor, Jula Prevalon. Jula is the associate pastor at Redeemer Covenant Church in Carrollton, Texas, and she's a bivocational minister, so she also works part-time as a licensed professional counselor. And she and her husband have been married 21 years, and they have three young adult children. And her twin sons, though, will be going off to college next week. So she's going to be an empty nester. So if any empty nesters out there, make sure you give her a hug. Um, So we are just delighted that she's here this morning to share with us. And I'm really excited to hear her message about um, the Beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers. So please join me in welcoming Jula. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, Like Katie said, my name is Jula Prevalon, and I'm a friend of Pastor Mark, um, who's being ordained this weekend. And so thank you for welcoming me. Um, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, It is because of him that I'm able to leave my church and come here and still feel the Holy Spirit among you. So thank you. I also bring greetings from my lead pastor at Redeemer Church in Carrollton, whose name is also Mark. So Mark seems to be a popular name around here. I also worship with you this morning with my family. My husband Fresnel is in the back, and our three sons, Raynell, Devin, and Justin. Just like Katie said, our twin sons will be leaving for um, the University of um, Prairie View A&M, next week, and our oldest son is already out of the house and um, entering his fourth year at Abilene Christian. So 
Um, we're all in the thick of deep transitioning right now, so keep us in your prayers as you think of us. As a church community, you have been going through a sermon series on the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5. And I join you today to continue this series. And our scripture for today is found in Matthew 5, verse 9. And I'll read it for you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for calling us here this morning. And I thank you that you are the center of every last one of us here, Lord God, that, um, that all throughout the, this nation, all throughout the world, that you are the one thing that connects us. And we thank you, Father, for your universal church this morning as we can all join in in worshiping you because you deserve it. So have your way with us this morning, Lord God, and speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. So as Katie was sharing, in addition to my pastoral work at my home church at Redeemer, I'm a licensed professional counselor in private practice. And I see all kinds of clients from week to week. I see teenagers, I see women, I see couples and families. I love working with families and looking at how dynamic they are and the role each and every one person in the family plays for a number of reasons. The oldest often takes a role, the middle child often takes a role, and yet the youngest usually takes another role. And when the family structure, and when the family structure is complex, and dysfunctional like mine was growing up, there are yet other roles the family play. I am the fourth in line of six children, so let's just say that that is probably one of the reasons I'm a pastor and I'm a counselor right now, because we had lots of dysfunctions going on in our family. But there's a role in the family we're all very familiar with, and that is the peacekeeper the one that keeps the peace in the family. And I'm sure if I were to ask each of you to define and describe the peacekeeper today, you'd rightly name not only the description of the term, but you'd probably rightly distinguish who is the peacekeeper of your family. And if you're paying attention, I didn't use the biblical term that is used in Matthew 5, 9, peacemaker, but I used instead the dysfunctional family coping term, peacekeeper. And we need to be aware of this subtle difference that will make a huge impact on the work that we do here on earth for the kingdom of God. The peacekeeper in the family is not the outwardly dysfunctional person you think of. They are often unnoticed and they go and they fly under the radar. And they mean well, they really do. People might even gravitate towards them because they seem at peace with themselves, with others, and God. They may often have a smile on their faces, greeting people in the church, being very friendly and hospitable and welcoming. But if you peel back the layers a little bit, these peacekeepers well, well, you will see something completely different from these peacekeepers. 
You might find fears, you might find rigidity, you might find control, and the control says, you better not mess with my little family, you better not mess with my perfect little church, or you better not mess with my perfect little community. And they've created all these perfect little worlds in their heads. And it's their attempt at peacemaking using the world's method. I don't know if I'm describing anyone here this morning in the audience. I saw a couple of you gave each other little looks here and there. Or if someone you know, or if I'm describing you. Now, I know Pastor Mark isn't here this morning, but I know he'd agree with me saying this to you all today. This sermon might be a little challenging to many of you. But one of the reasons we show up on a Sunday morning is because we desire to receive from God through his word and our relationship with one another what we need to grow and develop to be more like Jesus. These Beatitudes help us understand what it means to be in a communal relationship with God and others and how to go about doing the kingdom work. They will stretch us as they should. Because Jesus is saying blessed to attributes that we've categorized as painful punishments. Jesus' notion of blessing is way different than ours. So these teachings will rightly stretch us because if we're serious about doing the, doing the work of the kingdom, we must embrace the stretching. Peacemaker cannot be translated as peace, peacemaker cannot be translated as peacekeeper. The peacekeepers really do desire world peace. They want world peace deep in their hearts. But their methods of going about keeping the peace is a little skewed. They will often seek to keep the peace regardless of the circumstances going on in the family, church, or community. If the family is grieving the loss of a loved one, they're looking for ways for the family to do something fun so everyone can be happy again. When members in the family hurt another, they would caution them, they would caution the hurt individual to quickly move on and not create any drama for the family. They would sweep things under the rug and pretend and sometimes actually believe that everything is okay. And if people in the family disagree and choose different paths to live by, the peacekeeper encourages them to just agree, just unite, just get along, and just follow the rules. Only if you were to follow the rules, everything would be okay. And if you're sitting here today listening to the description of peacekeeper, you can probably already identify where the problems with peacekeeping lie. And if you know anything about the life of Jesus and the ministry he established on earth, then you know that peacekeeping is not what he's calling his children to. I would even say peacekeeping is not what Jesus modeled while he walked here on earth. He's calling us to something deeper, something greater, something higher. In fact, he modeled it for us. It's always interesting working with couples and when one partner comes into counseling and they can't understand because this one partner is thinking that peacekeeping is the best way to establish a loving family. 
and they can't understand why their partner is upset with them and unable to connect with them. Peacekeeping often creates disconnect in the family. You're disconnected from one another. For the first half of my marriage, I would say we were equal peacekeepers. We'd engage in very little conflict with each other. In fact, we were petrified of discussing issues that were bothering us. So we put on a smile on our faces and we kept sweeping our issues under the rug until we can no longer sweep those issues under the rug. And on our 12th year of marriage, the Lord met us in the midst of a painful season and offered us a different way, a new way to build our family. A way that kept us united while at the same time bringing issues to the forefront and working through them and giving us peace in our marriage and family. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. God sent his son Jesus to bring about peace and shalom to a world that was lost and dying and in desperate need of a peacemaker. Isaiah 9, 6 said, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will, will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This God and flesh child was to be called Prince of Peace. He would establish a new ki kingdom built on peace. We who were in enmity with God would find peace through God with through Jesus Christ. And this peace wouldn't just touch the people in the kingdom, but the entire world, including animals and, and oceans and the skies and our relationships with them. Revelations 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. There will be a new heaven and a new earth where peace will reign. Can you imagine that? But we need to be clear on what peacemaking means and what is required to be a peacemaker like Jesus. Now, before we define peacemaking, let's look at a couple of examples of how Jesus did peacemaking, and hopefully towards the end of the, the sermon, the definition will come together. As we look at Jesus' Jesus's work as a peacemaker, we see that the entire Bible is proof of God's love for his children, where he's on a continual pursuit to bring about peace and shalom throughout the kingdom. One of the examples of God's work as a peacemaker is found in John 4, where he met the Samaritan woman. We all know this story very well. Jesus engaged this woman with what, we, what seemed like a random coincidence. It, it seemed like he just so happened to, 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 to see her by the well. But as Jesus continues to engage her in conversation, we realize that he was, on a, he was very intentional about meeting her. He was on a pursuit to meet her. They had an exchange that I can only name as a truth-telling session. Jesus, knowing that Jews and Samaritans have animosity towards one another, asked for a drink, to which she said, you are a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? Which was the truth. Jesus went on to say, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, which was another truth. If she knew that the man that asked her for the drink was the Messiah, she would even question him. She'd, ha she'd ask him to give her living water. Give me that living water. What would you ask Jesus for if he were to knock on your door today? They continued their exchange of authentic questions and honest answer. We know the end of this story. Jesus revealed himself to her and said, I am he. I am the Messiah you have been waiting on. And she believed. She believed in him. And from what we can tell in all the Gospels, she was the first person that he revealed himself to in such a way. Verse 39 in John 4 said, Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever did meaning he told me the truth. He told me the truth about myself and the condition of my heart. He invited me in. One of the many lessons from this story with the Samaritan woman is that there's no peacemaking without naming and accepting the truth. There's no peacemaking without naming and accepting the truth. At my home church, we run a racial reconciliation group. And one of the first and continual steps we take is a commitment to dive deep into the history of our past, the history of the world. And what does Jesus have to say about that history and how we should behave in light of the truth we discover together? Now, although we lay out the objectives, the objectives of this group, we often get questioned about why must we go back in history? What good is, is all of this undigging? In other words, why must we disturb my life as a peacekeeper? Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, said, to achieve racial reconciliation, we must be willing to tell the truth. To be a peacemaker means naming and telling the truth, no matter how hard it is. And no matter how bad it makes people feel uncomfortable. So my question for you this morning is, are you on a path to peacemaking or are you on a path to peacekeeping? Is your strategy for peace using the world's methods that engages others inauthentically? Or is your strategy that of Christ with a genuine and humble interest in the truth? The truth of the condition of our hearts and the truth of our relationships together. Over and over again, we see Jesus use this strategy of getting at the condition of our hearts to offer us peace. He patiently communicates with us and leads us into the truth of who he is and what he desires of us. Again, the question is, are you ready to receive the peace of God and become instruments of peace for his glory? Let's keep going. Another example of Jesus doing, doing, doing the work of peacemaker is found in Mark 3, verses 1 through 6. 
It was Sabbath, and Jesus entered the synagogue, and there he saw a man with a shriveled hand, the scriptures said. And the religious authorities were waiting to see if Jesus was actually going to heal this man on the Sabbath so they can accuse him. Then Jesus asked them a question that to us is a no-brainer because we're no longer having Sabbath-keeping controversies among us, or am I wrong about this? And Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent, and that made Jesus angry, and he was distressed by their hardened hearts realizing that they have lost their way. My children have lost their way. They can't even answer this simple question. The Sabbath was instituted to be of help to the people, not a burden that's caused them to do evil in the name of doing God's work. So Jesus went and healed the man on the day of Sabbath, which made him an enemy of the Jews. Being a peacemaker sometimes means going against the grain and doing what is right, no matter the cost. Sometimes it means losing friends, jobs, entrance to social clubs, special groups. It sometimes means standing alone. Jesus knew what was at stake. He knew that a lonely and gruesome death was waiting him a lonely and gruesome death on a cross. But he healed the man anyway on the day of Sabbath. Lately, we've been um, trying to remind our, our boys of all the life lessons we've taught them in the 18 years before they head off to college. We feel like we have no time left. We're running out of time, so we need, it's like rapid fire. Lesson number one, lesson 100. We have to get it all in. And we're always telling them about peer pressure, to which they always say, Mom, Dad, we have our own mind. We do what we want to do. No one can pressure us into doing what we don't want to do. To which I always say, even adults fall into peer pressure. Don't think you won't fall into peer pressure too. Yes, adults fall into peer pressure. Now, it may not be glaring examples like teenagers um, falling into um, peer pressure of drinking or drugs or anything like that, but it could be a colleague finding a loophole to not pay taxes. It could be applauding the mistreatment of those that Jesus loved, the poor, the homeless, people of color, immigrants, refugees, and on and on it goes. The point is, being a peacemaker will cost you something if you're doing it right. But it is important to do what is right and what is just, no matter the cost and the restraints placed on you. Micah 6 says, 6, 8 says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Being a peacemaker means doing what is right and what is just, no matter the cost. The final example I want to share with you all is found in Luke 23, verses 39 to 43. After Jesus had been rejected, renounced by his closest friends, insulted, whipped, 
humiliated and sentenced to death for doing his job as a peacemaker. He was nailed to a cross, and on the left and right of him stood two criminals. Verse 3942 said, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Not only did the work of peacemaking cost Jesus his life, but even as he was hung on the cross dying, he continued to do the work of a peacemaker. Can you imagine that? You're hung on a cross dying. Your life situation is in the worst case it has ever been. You're grieving the loss of someone in your family. You're grieving all kinds of losses. And there you are still doing the job of the Father as a peacemaker. Can you imagine that? And Jesus honored the request of a criminal to remember me. And he offered him a place in paradise with him. He offered him forgiveness. Peacemaking was Jesus' life. It was his purpose. And Jesus is who God is calling us to model our life as a peacemaker after. God is not calling us to the superficial task of peacekeeping. He's calling us to join him at his continued work of peacemaking. And if done right, peacemaking will create all kinds of tension for us. Because as humans, we're constantly looking for acceptance and approval. We want to be well-liked so we don't, we don't name and accept the truth about the condition of our hearts, the condition of our relationships with one another, and the condition of our nation. We don't want to do the hard work and find out where injustice is being done because then that would mean we might have to get our hands dirty. And we don't want to suffer and sacrifice. We really don't want to suffer and sacrifice. I see it every day as a pastor, and I see it every day as a counselor. There's a cost to peacemaking. Sometimes it means rejection from family. Friends will turn their backs sometimes. And in the case of Jesus, all of the above happened, including death. But Jesus said, the peacemakers will be blessed they will be invited to a blessed covenant with God. So how do we define a peacemaker? How do we know if we're on the path of being a peacemaker like Jesus? Henry Nguyen said, Jesus, the blessed child of the Father, is a peacemaker. His peace doesn't mean only absence of war, it is not simply harmony or equilibrium like peacekeeping. His peace is the fullness of well-being gratuitously given by God. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave to you, my own peace I give to you, a peace which the world cannot give, this is my gift to you. 
Peacemaking is not simply harmony or equilibrium, Henry said. In other words, it's not simply peacekeeping. He said Jesus' peace is the fullness of well-being for all people. Do you have the fullness of well-being within you? Are you on a quest of making sure that everyone experiences the fullness of well-being? Do we care enough that everyone experiences the fullness of well-being by stepping into complex human matters like Jesus did? By acting justly and merciful like Jesus? By not avoiding pain and suffering like Jesus? Are we willing to come alongside Jesus and be a peacemaker where the fullness of well-being is our approach at peacemaking? Henry continued and said, Peace is shalom, well-being of mind, heart, and body, individually and communally. It can exist in the midst of a war-torn world, even in the midst of unresolved problems and increasing human conflicts. Jesus made that peace by giving his life for his brothers and sisters. This is no easy peace, but it is everlasting. It comes from God. Are we willing to give our lives to the service of peace, he asked. Are we willing to give our lives to the service of peace as Jesus has done? Now, before you answer this question, I want you to know what's in it for you. Because I know this is a, an American audience, and when we're negotiating something as important as our lives, we need to know what's in it for us, right? So what's the return on our investment? If I become a peacemaker, what's in it for me? Well, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called children of God. Notice he didn't say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be financially wealthy, or they'll live com comfortably in suburbs, or they'll be safe from persecution, or they'll live a, a pain and problem-free life, or their families and close friends will be protected from disease and death, or parents will understand you, or college will be easy, or you will get married and have 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. He didn't say that. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be children of God. Why is being children of God such a good benefit? Why do I want to be children of God for peacemaking? Meaning you will have a position in the family, one of closeness to God. One commentary on this passage said, the term children of God was used preeminently of Jesus Christ as enjoying the supreme love of God, united to him in affectionate, affectionate intimacy. When we pursue peacemaking, we are invited to enjoy the supreme love of God. We are invited to an intimate relationship with him. It's also interesting that the blessing Jesus handed out for those that pursue peacemaking is to be children of God. Because when we truly pursue peacemaking, they'll often get rejected. We'll often get rejected and kicked out of community. The family can sometimes make you a scapegoat. 
for all of their problems. The church community might say, you're the, you're the troublemaker here. You may be accused and misunderstood, but Jesus said you will be blessed and invited to draw near and have an intimate relationship with me as children of God, as my children. In other words, Jesus is saying when you have been kicked out, rejected with no community, and homeless with no family to go to, you can come on home, my children. You will be one of my children. I know many of you here might still be wondering, well, how do I even start this thing of a peacemaker? I want to be blessed. I want to be called a child of God, but I don't know where to begin. I would say begin with you. I would say begin with you and God first. Examine your relationship with God to see if you have the peace that he's offering first. You can't be a peacemaker if you have no peace within. It just doesn't work. You can't be at peace with others if you can't be at peace with yourself and God. Years ago, God began the work of peacemaking first in our marriage. And our lives have never been the same since that 12th year of marriage. Peacemaking within has created ripples into our relationship, not only with each other, but our relationship with our children and our ministry focus. And we're nowhere perfect at it, but daily we go back to the source, and daily God has been teaching us how to be a peacemaker. And we've been fortunate to continue to learn how to be a peacemaker from different people all around the world, really. As a family, we've learned from the Haitian people on trips we've taken together. I've learned from the women in, in prison from, in, in Dallas. I've learned from war-torn countries like Congo and Kenya. These people know a thing or two about peacemaking. And I've learned from sitting with groups of people here in America trying to figure out how to bring about peace and shalom when racial difference has torn us apart. God is calling us to more. Though the work of a peacemaker will not make us rich, but when we get close, God said he will bring us home and call us children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let us pray.